0: This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour.
1: Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Welcome to the Bubble Hour.
0: Welcome
2: to the Bubble Hour. Welcome, 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 welcome welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it, I did that, not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power, weakness head on.
0: Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to the Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to the Bubble Hour archives—a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined the Bubble Hour as a host in season two, together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine. We all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at TheBubbleHour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hey,
3: everybody, this is Lisa, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of alcoholism and recovery, and I'm here tonight with my co-hosts, Ellie and Amanda. Tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, parenting and alcoholism and recovery from several perspectives, what it's like to grow up with alcoholic parents, or an alcoholic parent, what it's like to be a parent struggling with drinking, and what it's like to be a sober parent. We'll also discuss tonight how and when to talk to your children about alcoholism and recovery. Um, Whether you're a child of an alcoholic or a parent struggling with drinking or a parent in recovery, the cycle of addiction and recovery has a huge impact on family life. And so tonight we're going to discuss this honestly and openly by sharing conversations from our own experiences and strength and hope um, with this important issue as our topic. And tonight, we're going to begin by talking a little bit about our own experiences with alcoholism in childhood. I'm learning through recovery that although many of our experiences are very different, there is almost always something in common, some kind of common bond. So first, I was going to mention fear, which is the underlying emotion that I personally try so hard to cover up, and I have tried to cover it up most of my life, and My friend, Lance, who is in recovery, recently brought up a really interesting topic. He asked if anyone was interested in sharing a fear list, and the thought of actually voicing my fears in public was fearful in and of itself to me. I decided to do it anyway, and so did a lot of other people. And what I noticed when I was reading everyone's list about their fears, I noticed a very common theme. And the common theme was that most of the people who are in recovery, who had children who participated, were very afraid, specifically that their children maybe have been damaged by their alcoholism. And I also noticed that people in recovery are afraid that their own children will become alcoholics. Of course, this is one of my greatest fears. And I also noticed that people in recovery who participated in this are afraid that this This is a topic that clearly a lot of people could relate to because they're afraid that this could happen to their children, or that they've done damage that can be reversed. Anyway, it was really hard for me to write my own list, and I kept it really short, because really and truly, there's not enough paper on the planet to actually list all of my fears, and I I feel like doing the list made me feel less alone somehow after openly talking about it. I think a lot of the people that listed the fears about their children have a lot of maybe guilt, past regret about maybe how some of their drinking behavior could have affected their children. And I can totally understand that. And I think that basically it was a great way for me to think about moving forward and not living in the past. But tonight we're also going to talk a little bit about how having an alcoholic parent can affect a child. And kind of to start out, I was going to tell a little bit about how having an alcoholic father kind of shaped me personally as a person. And, you know, I always, I never would have imagined that I would be in this place where I'm in recovery because I always thought I was way too smart and way too, there was no way I was going to wind up like my dad. And so I think that's part of why it took me so long to accept it because I was totally, you know, going to do the exact opposite. Well, that was my plan anyway, but so my child, my childhood was really full of uncertainty inconsistency, which led to anxiety, which I still have today, but it's definitely dissipated since I've been sober. I always felt like I could control my alcoholic father's behavior kind of by appearing perfect. And then when he didn't show up or he didn't show up at all or he showed up drunk, I blame myself because I believed it was because I wasn't good enough. And, you know, I'm working through this, but To this day, I still feel sometimes like I'm not quite good enough. And I think a lot of people have the same fear. And, you know, I also feel like it wasn't all bad. I feel like while I would never, ever, ever wish an alcoholic parent on any child, I do think that I've learned to see that through some of my childhood and teenage experiences, I did gain um, some awareness that I probably would not have had otherwise known. I think these Traits might have saved me a few times along the way. For example, I know I learned to um, question authority at a young age. And just because an adult told me no to something, I didn't necessarily believe it or take it for the answer. Knowing that authority figures are fallible has helped me immensely in my life. Even now, I'm not afraid to question a no, which has been really helpful to me because I'm an advocate for children. Professionally, and I have to be willing sometimes to go against medical professionals or educators, even families at times. So, you know, growing up the way I did did give me that, and I'm thankful and grateful for that. But I do realize that me, alcoholics, reduced your authority. But for me, it's kind of been the opposite. Instead, I fear more my peers, if that makes sense. Wow. I'm sorry. No, I said, yeah, that makes sense to me, <laughs> definitely. Hearing your my peers, your your peers instead of authority, yeah. I don't know. I can't. I can't say why, but but Ellie, what about you? I know you didn't grow up with an alcoholic parent. That I was kind of hoping you could kind
1: of give your perspectives from the way you grew up. Sure, sure. I'm happy to. Obviously, this is Ellie and. It's interesting, Lisa, because even though I didn't grow up with an alcoholic parent, I can relate to a lot of what you talked about. I actually, I'm adopted, and I was adopted as an infant, and I I believe that probably in my biological family somewhere alcoholism is evident. I never did find out any information about my biological family, but it's something I'm considering doing as I think about those fears that you expressed about the, the challenges that my own children may face from the disease component of alcoholism. And it's looking back, you know, I, I would always, I ask myself a lot, especially in early recovery, you know, had somebody in my family been an active alcoholic at some point or an active alcoholic as I was progressing down the path, would I have known something different when I've been able to catch my own behaviors more quickly? Would I have changed what I did? Would I have had a healthier fear around alcohol? And I, I think honestly that the answer is probably no, that like many alcoholics do, I probably would have engaged in that while well, I'm not that bad. Mentality mm-hmm. of especially kids, I think that witnessed some of the more extreme behaviors that alcoholism can bring into a family dynamic that can actually serve as a way to sort of reinforce your own little list that, some, that many of us keep of reasons why we couldn't possibly be an alcoholic. Right. But, but what it meant is that as my disease got bad or worsened and more obvious, that there really wasn't anybody in my immediate family that recognized it as alcoholism. I've progressed in what I consider sort of pretty far down the path and had a lot of physical trouble because of it and hospital stays and things that were really frightening. And I, th- I think around me, I don't mean to speak for them, but I think around me and my family and even within my, my, my husband and some of my closer friends, everybody was sort of scratching their heads and thinking, what is wrong with her? And they were more easy, they more easily accepted the excuses that I offered. Like, well, I think it's postpartum depression or I think it's anxiety. And I, at the time, Was willing to accept almost any diagnosis except for alcoholism. Call me Mm -hmm. anything but an alcoholic, and then I have to stop drinking, and I don't don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think that in that sense, it may have been in my later years when my alcoholism became evident. It may have been helpful to have somebody who wasn't as apt to believe the things that I was the lies that I was feeding them and to myself. As a result of this, Um, but I don't. I, I think that the other piece of it was that a lot of the commonalities and the fears that you spoke of it, that that we experience with children uh, that we hear a lot in recovery about not feeling good enough or not measuring up, kind of, I, I you, see, you hear it disguised. and I always felt that there's sort of like a hole in my soul, like there was something just wrong or missing. different about me than other people, and I used to blame it on adoption, thinking, well, I'm so different from my adopted family, and there's just something really different about me. I personally believe that that's kind of a, it's a personality symptom of alcoholism itself. And when I finally got into recovery and heard people talking about these things, that I felt like were my inner darkest secrets, like that I'm broken somehow, or that if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to, that you wouldn't like me, or that I had to be perfect, and I had to grow up. I grew up, that I had to be perfect, or my parents could give me back, as, as mm-hmm. theological as that sounds. It was a really deep to of mine. And, you know, I, I don't. I think it was reinforced by a family that really did place some priority on parents. Kind of, you know, make sure you look buttoned up and the way you present yourself to the world is, is pretty important. And that probably fueled my disease. But I can look back and really understand that my disease was, is, was rooted, I believe that I was born an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. when, I my, when I had my first drink at the age of 12, I remember that feeling of, oh, this, is my, this must be what it's like to feel normal. You know, my anxiety went away. My feelings of not belonging went away. And the more I get into recovery, the more I recognize that that's a symptom of alcoholic uh, alcohol giving me a profound personality change that I don't think alcoholics experience as deeply as alcoholics do. And I, don't, I didn't need to grow up in an alcoholic environment, in other words, to experience a lot of the same things that children of alcoholics do. For better or for worse, I'm not really sure what the under, under the moral underpinning of that story is, but I think it, it really comes down to the commonality of feelings that we feel. They really come from within us, as do our, as does our disease.
0: Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles, little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building.
3: For me, it was more about if I can just be more perfect, I can change this behavior, you know, and I can, I can, it's my fault if it doesn't, if the change doesn't happen, which now I know, you know, is not true. But I think when you grow up, Feeling that way, it changes your whole outlook on life and and who you can trust or what you can do. When really, it's not in your hands at all. But right. what about you, Amanda? How, how, how did growing up around alcoholism how do you think it shaped you?
4: Well, I, it, uh, well, there's there's two alcohol two alcoholic fathers <laughs> to talk about. There's my biological um, father was an alcoholic, and he actually died from this disease. And he was, I guess, a pretty well bottomed alcoholic. He was in jail when I was born and was in and out of jail throughout my life. And I, but he was really not a part of my life. He, he was, like I said, he was in jail when I was born. My mother married him when I was like, when he got out when I was six months old, and they were divorced by the time I was two. And I would see him periodically on the weekends, and he would often abandon me on the weekends, and that's, how, well, I guess that's how, that's the word I use now. When I was a little girl, it was he would take me for the day, and then he would leave me with his girlfriend with all kinds of promises, and then he'd never return. For And my my mom, and later with my stepfather, Would come to pick me up, and I would just be hysterical. So I think that had a huge impact on me, and a lot of the same fear that both of you talked about. I really, I had this, I still have this incredible fear of working on less so now than before, but that it's something that when I was younger really was almost crippling, and I would latch on to people, and if I was in a relationship, I would try to hang on to it no matter what even if the relationship was unhealthy for me. And it was just, I would hold on so tight, too, that I would strangle people. And if that was something that I recognized early in my life, that I had this fear that came from that. And it also played a role later on in my life when I was able to, I always had someone to compare myself to. When my drinking started to progress, I could look back and say, well, no, he's an alcoholic. I'm not an mm-hmm. alcoholic. I have this all under control because, like I said, he was in and out of jail. He had a lot of children. I have a lot of half-siblings that I don't even know, a couple that I do know. He was a womanizer, not very responsible. And so that shaped me in one way. And then my stepfather, who my mom met when I was five, um, they got married when I was six. He... Um, well, it turns out he was an alcoholic, but growing up, I never thought of him as an alcoholic. And he definitely drank, and there were definitely occasions where he drank a lot, and there, or the, there were incidents, but I think he mostly drank outside of the house. And I was oblivious to a lot of his drinking. I mean, there were definitely some incidents that I look back now and go, wow, how did you not recognize that? But. I never, never, that thought, I never compared him to my biological father, and maybe that's why I didn't see any of his actions as being alcoholic behavior. I imagine, I did I have a fear that he was going to lead me to? For whatever reason, I didn't. He was a very stable person in my life. And I had those those two examples. My stepfather got, he didn't get sober until I was 20. He got sober, I think, when I was 22, and I, I I was really puzzled actually when he got sober, and I was at, I had just moved out of the house, so I actually never lived with him in recovery. But he's been sober ever since then. But I, I would definitely That's say, awesome. yeah, it, yeah, he's he's been incre- an incredible role model to me, which we can. I, I was planning on talking about later on in the show when we get into you know <laughs> how how parents can impact their children, but. I guess just from this perspective, growing up, having those two examples in my life, the the biggest thing for me was just the fears and fear of abandonment. And it really, really affected how I was growing up. And and like Elliot said, too, having that first drink made me feel like I fit in. I never felt like I fit in because I felt like, well, my biological father can leave me, then I'm really not very good. And it turns out, again, I don't think that is you know, that was just an impact from him. I do think that is an actual early symptom of just alcoholism in general because I, I definitely mm-hmm. think I was born born an alcoholic. I have so many of the characteristics of an alcoholic were
3: very apparent early on in my life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Amanda, I have to just say, I related to so much of what you said, too, and I think that my father also died... Um, young, and he died an alcohol-related death, and I think that, I don't know, I just feel like what you said about how you kind of pick people and kind of hung on tight to them and kind of almost too tight, you know, I think I did the opposite, which is just, I just wanted to point out, everything, everything doesn't necessarily look the same. I, I um, kind of chose people who would kind of let me keep them at bay, and I think that, I'm just now really discovering all of this through recovery, that how I, it was totally, it was not a conscious decision, I don't think, but I sort of picked people who I knew would not try to get too close to me. And it definitely carried over, you know, into
1: my adult life. But this is Elliot. I just, I'm so interested by this, this conversation too, because I, I'm trying to figure out how it is that I, was That same fear of abandonment is really at the root of all, what all three of us are saying, and, and I did not choose to keep people at bay, nor did I cling too tight. What I did was shape-shift. I learned I really, yeah, really I early on, Just like, if, how do I make this person like me? And I, I guess it is a form of clinging, and it is a form of holding people at bay, because they never really get to know think, the real mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know the real me. I didn't want to. I just mm-hmm. wanted to make mm-hmm. sure that you didn't go anywhere. And so, if I became the person that I thought you would love the most, then you wouldn't leave. And that's a character trait that I've worked, that I continue to work really hard on in recovery because being authentic is such a, a cornerstone to having a balanced, healthy, sober life. That it's um, mm-hmm. astonishing to me to realize how young I developed those behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was adoption. I thought it was a fear of abandonment through adoption. And that's probably a part of it. But I think a bigger part of it is just, the, as Amanda said, the characteristics of alcoholism, the isms in alcoholism, of needing to be wanted or liked or belonging. And or either push them away before they can get mm-hmm. to exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Well, I know for me, many years, I, I did deny that there was any negative effect from Growing up with an alcoholic parent, I really did. I kept, you know, I kept my, I kept up appearances, and I remember telling close friends who knew about my childhood, and it wasn't something I ever really talked about. It was very, very deeply hidden part of me, and I kind of uh, left my hometown, and I started a life, and I was successful at everything pretty much that came my way, and at least on the outside. That I was always tell my close friends that I got out unharmed and here I am, I have it all together. But by my late twenties I would say, I really started kind of struggling inwardly about how to just how to cope with life. And that's when alcohol became I mean it was alcohol had been a part of my life for, for a very long time. But I think that was around the time I kind of started using it to really try to cope. And, you know, I remained confident and put together on the outside that I was falling apart, basically, on the inside. And, you know, we talk about this a lot, that my inside definitely didn't match my outside. So, and then having children of my own, which is very bizarre to say that out loud, because I always wanted children. I always dreamed of children and having a family. And I had all that. I was living this life that I always wanted, But once I had children... It kind of added fuel to the fire that was already quickly escalating, which was my problem with alcohol. And, you know, I think my denial was a huge part of why it took me so long to put it all together. But it's just denial, like we talked about last week, is so deeply rooted when you grow up in an alcoholic family. I think despite the fact that I always knew exactly what having an alcoholic parent looked like, I felt like... I was becoming exactly what I swore I'd never be, which was my dad. I remember my very first memory of checking out a library book, which I I loved to read, and I always was a big library person. But I think I was probably eight, maybe nine, But I found a book about alcoholism. And I kind of sneakily checked it out. And I don't remember what it was called, but it was something way technical- way too hard for me to be trying to read, but I was just so desperate because I knew enough to know that the problem was alcohol with my dad, but I was just desperate to know what was happening, why this was happening in my little world. And um, so I checked the book out and made it home with the book. It was hidden with my other little books and my grandmother, who was the sweetest and most loving person. And I'm just very always grateful to her for everything that she did for me as a child and as even an adult before she passed away that she reprimanded me and she really made me feel ashamed she said oh you're not you're not why did you check that out the librarian might know something's wrong and so that was kind of my first little introduction into denial kind of and also mixed with being ashamed I think and that really shaped I think that shaped my whole perspective as far as oh I'm not supposed to check out this book because then this librarian may know that there's someone in my family who is an alcoholic. And that was just sort of a, a memory that I wanted to share about my, my own experience.
0: Take Good Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take good care for recovery reading inspired by The Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. Help others find the message of recovery we champion on The Bubble Hour. Plus, get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on Patreon. Patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available, as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast, Tiny Bubbles. Become a Bubble Hour patron today at patreon.com slash thebubblehour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope.
3: Amanda, how did you finally make the connection that you were living with the same disease that killed your, your dad? Or did you even realize it at the time?
4: Well, I probably always drank alcoholically. And I remember when my stepfather got, well, first of all, as, as far as my biological father, I never, I don't think I ever identified that I was like him okay. until I got sober. But my my stepfather, like I said, he got sober when I was 22, and it it really puzzled me. And I remember a couple times, you know, know, we hear people in recovery about some of the pressures they get from their children. I remember saying to him, like, so when are you going to drink again? Because I was finally, I think I was 22, and I was finally at an age where I could you know, have drink along with them because I always say, you know, my family had a lot of fun at the holidays and stuff like that. And my dad was, when he drank, the the parts I saw were mostly fun. And my dad, I'm talking about my stepdad. And Mm -hmm. so I was kind of disappointed that he could stop drinking. (laughs) And I because I never associated any of the difficult times of growing up when he would be strict with me or something like that. Like that, I never thought that that was a result of his drinking, and I, and, I, and I still don't think it was. And so, I didn't have real negative connotations with the alcoholism, but I remember being really confused by him getting sober and then even saying to him, Well, so that means you're never going to drink again. And he was like, Yeah, what for? You know, he's like, But it's much more fun being sober, and now I get that. But back then, I didn't get that at all. And, and I remember actually asking him at one point, saying, Well, I really don't want to have to stop drinking. So, what do I do to not become an alcoholic? And he <laughs> wow. He's just kind of chuckled. He just kind of chuckled and said, Well, if you're asking that question, you might be on your way. <laughs> right. And, now. I, and so, you know, I can say that the seed was planted. And I, I have always. I would say that I've always been conscious of the fact that I had there was a likelihood that I was gonna be an alcoholic. But then I had other examples in my life. My my, you know, biological father, I have another relative who's been arrested multiple times for drinking related incidents. And so I also had those people to say, Well, I'm not as bad as them. So he I, I guess i growing up with that i didn 't see it until I needed it, and then when you know once I determined that I was an alcoholic and that I needed help and I reached out to him, it couldn 't have been a better place for me to land right he, he was so supportive, he explained things to me, and I actually, just to back up a little bit as i over the years there were there were times that he did say to me, you know, don't you think you're drinking a little bit too much? And I would say, yeah, probably, but I'm watching and I have it under control. And I I think think it's... Yeah. And (laughs) exactly. And I was stubborn. I was going to control it. There was no way I was going to have to stop drinking. But I, I would say that the way that he handled talking to me about my drinking was absolutely perfect. He... Let me know he was available. He let me know that he was happy. He let me know that life his life was better without alcohol, and he let me know that I needed to be paying attention to what I was doing and that he didn't necessarily agree with it, but he also lo he wasn't judging me and actually, a really, really interesting thing that he said to me when my when I had asked him something about my biological father. And this is, again, going back to when he first got sober, so I was pretty young. He said, well, you really should cut him some slack. He has a disease, and he's just doing the best that he can. And um, I'll never forget him saying that to me, but I didn't understand that until I got sober. And actually, once I got sober and got a little recover in me, I've been able to forgive my biological father because I now understand that the things that he did he wasn't doing on purpose he wasn't doing them at me so that was a whole lot of stuff in in one thing but yeah i i i I couldn't see it i i didn't i I shouldn't say that it wasn't that i couldn't see it i didn't want to see it
0: friends that brings us to the end of this shortened version of the bubble hour conversation on parenting The conversation continues on the episode over at Patreon. If you'd like to hear full episodes ad-free, they are remastered from the original and cleaned up, but the full-length conversations are there for our Patreon members. Thank you so much for listening to the Bubble Hour. Do check out our website. Um, We have a listing of all our resources and other information there. Do visit us as well on Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks for listening to our archives. We're glad you're here. Until the next episode, take good care.
2: I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness head on. Me. just stays and wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine. When you see oh, I did that, not proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses, I just want to leave. you in the mirror, and the one who matters most can always hear, when you say you old, not proud, but that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, I'm not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from the power, oh you guys i that that was me and when I face it I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free